one more time. We're really, really glad that you're here. Thanks for coming. We are in the third week of How Do I Know God's Will for My Life? And for me, this has been an enjoyable message series, series to, uh, to teach to you, to, to talk to you about from God's Word. And the reason is that there's, every week we get emails into the office or somebody will stop by because they have an appointment and they want to talk to us about a decision that they're facing. And that's, that's really awesome that you guys trust us with that stuff. It means the world to us. We take it as a compliment. We, it's, it's a serious matter to us. And, and we've heard it so much that we thought that from time to time it's probably appropriate to just drill down once again on basic life principles about how to make decisions in line with what God wants for your life. And we've talked about some pretty basic but powerful life principles right from the pages of God's Word. And today I'm going to share with you a couple more. But first, let me tell you a little bit of story. Now, I'm one of those pastors that gets a little leery whenever I hear pastors tell stories, and it seems like those stories that the pastors tell in them, the pastor's always the hero. That always bothers me. You ever notice that? Like, I don't know if, what your church experience has been, but a lot of times speakers, when they tell stories about their life, like, they always do it right, okay? And so I get a little concerned about that. I always try to pay attention to that, because the truth is, if I were to do that to you in some way, that's a bit of a lie, because I don't always get it right. Oh, far from it. And, uh, in the middle of that, though, I still see God working in my successes and in my failures, and I want to take you through a couple of stories on a very personal level today in hopes that you could relate to them. Now, not in any way to elevate me, honestly, goodness, I'm not that important. I want to elevate Jesus, and I want to elevate the work of God in your life as I tell uh, a couple of these stories. So, when I was in ninth grade in high school, I, I didn't know anything. This might seem strange to you, maybe not, but... I didn't even know what a GPA was. I was a, a BC student uh, with the occasional A, and, and, and the reason was is because I had figured out if I paid attention in class, I really didn't have to do any homework. I never had to take a book home, and I was pretty happy with that. And my parents would always ask me, <laughs> did you do your best? Well, I know the answer to that question, and it's yes. It's yes whether you did, and yes whether you didn't. Because if you said yes to do you do your best, then I didn't get any lectures. And so everybody was happy. The world was in stasis. We were good. We were good. And in ninth grade, we had the speaker come to my school, and he was from the Air Force Academy. And I was struck with him. Now, the reason I was struck with him was because I had just seen the movie Top Gun. <laughs> and in that movie, the pilot, the pilot, like, gets all the curls. And... When this guy came and said, you know, there's opportunity, it's very tough, but you could possibly, if you wanted to, get into the Air Force Academy. There are a lot of hurdles, and you could be a pilot. I put one and one together and came up with ten. Air Force Academy, pilot, girls, that's me. That's God's will for my life. Instantaneously, I knew it. So I sat down with this guy in a one-on-one -on -one meeting and, and said, all right, so here's where I am. And he looked and said, well, you're not on the right path. You need to make some major adjustments academically. You need to make some major adjustments in terms of just your involvement. And if this is really what you want to do, it's time to get serious about growing up. Well, it stuck. I mean, it, it got in me. And for a couple of years, I just ran that course. And I, I, this is not to elevate me, but I ran from like a, a BC student to by the time I graduated, straight A's. And uh, took every hard class I could, studied for every major test completely turned a corner in my development because seriously now I joke but seriously I really did believe 
that God had a call on my life. And at that point, I really believed it was to make a difference in the armed forces. I, I've always been very proud of our folks who serve in the armed forces. thought that was a very noble thing to do. And so I had shared this with everybody. This is what I'm going to do with my life. And so I started going for some physicals because if you're going to be a pilot, there's some relatively serious things you have to do. And it's one of those few professions in the Air Force where you could be my stature and actually excel. Everything else, you had to be like 6'5". And, um, and so I figured since I was 4'2", it would, it would work. Um, you know, they, you fit in those little cubicles pr pretty well. So I started going for my physicals and discovered that my eyesight was actually worse than I realized. Now, I'm wearing contacts today, but at that point, you had to have near-perfect eyesight to pilot. Now, I was young and, 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 and maybe not fully developed in my thinking and, wi and wisdom, still, still aren't um, there. And so um, it crushed me. It crushed me to realize that no matter what I did and how much I had prepared, that thing wasn't going to happen the way I thought it would. Now, when I say it crushed me, now, I mean, it, it took the wind out of my sails, man. It, it put me in a funk for like months. And at the same time, I had uh, uh, some physical things going on where um, I had to have my jaw reset, broken, and some bone taken out. And so I had both a physical thing going on I had this emotional thing going on, and I felt like, and I, I don't want to exaggerate, but I felt like God had abandoned me. Now, now looking back on it, I kind of chuckle at that because clearly God hadn't abandoned me. But in the middle of my funk, that's the way I felt. I felt like all the preparation and all the planning and all the work I had done, that I felt God was giving wind towards, that he was blowing on me towards. I felt like all of that was now out the window. And I was devastated. I want to tell you uh, in, in a minute about what God did with all that and how he showed me a very powerful life principle. I want to share that with you. But I want to take you to a place in the Bible where and the details are different, but, but the life lesson is largely the same. There's a guy in your Bible. You've heard about him a lot if you've been around here. His name is, we, we call him the Apostle Paul. He was Saul, name changed to Paul when God miraculously intervened in his life. And when his name was changed to Paul, God said to him in a definitive way, you are going to take my message to the world. And he set out on a path of preparation. He set out on a path of submitting himself to those in authority around him. He got schooled. He, he was elevated. He served in the community for years. And after about seven, eight years of real intense involvement in the early stages of his walk with Christ, he launches out and he starts visiting areas all over the known world, that Roman Empire at the time, in a systematic approach to take the gospel of Jesus around the world. He had heard from the apostles, eyewitnesses, that Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses here in this place, Jerusalem, in the place next door, Judea, in Samaria, like a little further away, and all around the world. And Paul took that seriously. So in your Bible, in the book of Acts, right around chapter 16, the, the author of Acts, Luke, writes the story of Paul and all these travels and all the places he visited to share the message of Jesus. And Paul was, where, where in your Bible where Peter was the guy who would speak first, and then, like, think about it. He was always putting his foot in his mouth. Paul was not that way. Paul was the planning, methodical, 
set a direction and you go for it. You pray, you get, you get that strong sense of God's will, and then you go for it kind of guy. But in chapter 16, what we find is Paul's plans get interrupted. What I want to talk with you about today is what happens with God's will? What do you do with that? How do you understand it? What category do you put it in when the plans get interrupted? When the thing you think you know about God's will gets turned upside down. Now, I've been a pastor long enough, and before this I taught high school long enough to know that everybody in life, if it hasn't happened to you yet, it will, has a moment where they believe something is their destiny. That's where they're meant to go. For, for me, it looked like there are probably eight other women in this world who I deep down knew that God was going to make them my wife. Now, they all happened before Jill, which is good news. Um, most of them happened before I was 20 years old. Um, you know, for a long time, it was Wonder Woman. I still have a little thing for her. Um, you know, Linda Carter, but she had to be in the garb, you know. Um, so for a long time, I just knew when I was like eight years old, that woman was going to be my wife, right? And so, and on, a, on a silly level, I've heard people like deal have to deal emotionally and spiritually with the fact that the person they thought they were going to spend their life with isn't the person. And the job that they applied for that, that took them a lot of effort and they stretched to, to try to get into the door with, and they believed God was speaking, this is your thing, and it didn't work out. I, I've sat with them and prayed with them. Or they believe that God said that this physical thing that they're dealing with, like, it's not going to be the thing that ends. And, and, and then it became a lot bigger deal than they ever thought it was going to become. Or the person they were praying with about that relationship that had soured, and they really felt God saying, lean in one more time, and they leaned in one more time, and it still didn't go the way they thought it was going to go. H have you been there? Where you believed down deep, this is what God wants, and you stepped forward into it, and it didn't quite materialize. The Apostle Paul, he had made a plan to visit various areas, and he set out a course. And we pick up his story in Acts 16. I just want to read it so you know I'm not making this stuff up. All right, Acts 16, here's what it says. Right on the screen behind me or in your Bibles. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Gentlemen, let's pause here, and would you throw up that map for just a moment so people can see exactly what I'm talking about. This is that general region that we're talking about. And all these little cities around this area, you see Italy all the way over here to, to your right, and all the way over here to your, to, to your left off the screen would be Israel, where Paul's from. He's traveling up and around this whole area, and he's trying to methodically take the message of Jesus further and further. And he wanted to go to the little province of Asia. Now, at that time, Asia was what we call Turkey. And then it becomes everything Turkey, um, you know, to, to that direction, whichever direction that is. I can't figure it out in my head right now. But, <laughs> but he's supposed to go that way. And so he wants to start there and kind of like it spread. And, he, and that's his plan. But the Bible tells us, and, 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 it almost, and you could almost miss it, but he was kept by the Holy Spirit from going there. And, and the plans don't, don't stop. Verse 7. And when they came to the border of Myasia, or Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia. 
but the spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him. Now, Macedonia is across a little waterway, and you move from the little province that we would call Asia Minor now, you move from there, and you actually into Europe proper. There was a man from Macedonia in his dream standing saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. So, like, really, Paul, stretch it. Stretch it far. Now, if you don't know your Bible, let me just give it to you in, like, 30 seconds here. He's going to Asia doing the thing. He's got a plan and a purpose. And every time he starts to step out, the Bible just says the Holy Spirit stops him. We don't know the details. But there's a blockage in the way. And it's not just Paul. It's Paul and his companions. And it's not just Paul and his companions. It's people in Jerusalem sending money, supporting this missionary effort. And I'm certain when they started out, that they said, here's what we're going to do. Here's the grand plan. You give to this, this is what's going to happen. And in the middle of the thing, it's now beginning to shift. And in the middle of the shifting, Paul gets a little more revelation. He gets a little more info. He's standing on the edge of Europe, wanting to head more towards Asia. And he has a dream. And a man in Macedonia, just across the waterway, into Europe proper, in the dream, saying, no. Come, come help us. We need it too. I don't want you to miss this. And I don't want to overly simplify it because there's a lot of like historical detail here. But there's a principle for us that I have seen needs to be worked out in every person's life. Usually not just once, but over and over. When you think you know what you're supposed to do, and it changes. What did that mean? Th did God not know? Were they unfaithful? <laughs> I think that often what happens, now, 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 the, the principle I'm going to share with you, I can't take you to the one verse that says this, but I can show you over and over again in the pages of the Bible where this was the experience of people. This is certainly my experience. It's the experience of many people in this room. It's probably your experience, but maybe you haven't connected the dots yet. And I think if you'll connect the dots today around this principle, what it will do is it will help you navigate those moments where you believe you know, and you think you have insight into what God wants you to do about a particular situation. And the stars don't quite align. <laughs> it doesn't quite go that way for you. Now, now, in simple, I think I can show it to you a little bit more in terms of a diagram. If X marks the spot and you are here and this is what you think God wants you to do. You've prayed about it. You've thought about it. It lines up with the things we're talking about. It lines up with God's will revealed in his word. Remember, God's will will never take you outside of his word. We talked about that last week. And so this thing that he wants you to do to reconcile, to pursue this relationship, to go after this, it's not outside of God's word. He's not asking you, you don't, you're not believing that he, you know, he wants you to lie about this thing. Because bearing false witness is outside. It completely lines up with God's word. And so you set out in the direction of the thing. And then you like, you hit this barrier. Here's what I've seen. And I want to show it to you even more than I can tell it to you. As you start out in the direction of the thing that you believe God wants you to do, what I have discovered is very often when you get to those stopping points, 
it puts you in a position to see things you didn't already see. It gives you insight you haven't had up to this point. And very often in my life, and in this situation with Paul's life, getting to this point as you're walking in obedience towards the thing that you think God wants you to do actually helps you see something else. We'll call it, for the math geeks, X2, all right? X is what you believed. X1 is what you believed. But when you move towards it and you hit the, you actually begin to see for the first time X2. Which, believe it or not, might actually be God's will for you. Let me just talk about this for a second and then we'll kind of boil it down into some practical English. So I think that God is very concerned about you following him. And I think he's less concerned about revealing to you on the front end of the journey exactly where the journey's going to take you. I think he's more concerned about you following him than he is revealing to you exactly where he's taking you. I think, like we talked about in week one, he wants you to have an internal yes in your heart. God, even before I know the question, the answer is yes. Whatever you want me to do, it's yes. And I'm just going to start following what I believe you put in front of me. And as you direct, I'm going to move in that direction. I think when you do that, you start moving in obedience to God's direction in your life. He makes changes in that path as he sees fit. And I think maybe he does it, at least in my life, because he knows if he showed us the final destination that that isn't the best way for him to develop us on the journey. That what he's interested in is us following him along the whole path, not just to get to the destination. And here's the goal for us. The goal isn't just to get to the destination. It's to be the person he's developing us to be when we get there. See, I think God is concerned with us following him more than getting us to the destination because he's developing us into the people he wants us to be. I believe all along God wanted me to be a pastor. I really do. I'm going to tell you something you may not believe, and I can't explain it to you. But I've known since I was five years old that was his plan for my life. I did. And I struggled with it. And the little ladies in my church, they would come up and they would say, you're going to make a great pastor one day. And I would say, oh, no, I'm not. Because honestly, I had other dreams and visions. They typically involved women. And the best I could tell, at least at the time when I was growing up, pastors only had like one woman. And I know that's changed now, uh, at least in the media. But at the time, I, I thought that's the way it was supposed to be. And so in my mind, that and the fact that I wanted gobs of money, um, they didn't quite go together. And so when I would think about this, you know, the little old ladies telling me that stuff, there was a resistance in me, but I'm going to tell you straight up, I knew deep down that that was exactly what God wanted me to do. But I wasn't on board with his agenda. I was in a real sense, but not in a complete sense. But when that Air Force recruiter came to our school that day and I heard him lay out a path, something, something, something echoed in me. There was like a pinging in my, in my heart about it. I really believed that God had given me the door finally since all the old ladies were wrong and, and my parents were wrong and all my Sunday school teachers and all my mentors, everybody in my life was wrong about what I was supposed to do, but I knew better. 
I finally heard in that guy a path to get me to that place where I, maybe it was a quest for significance. I'm not sure what it was. But it registered in me and I started, and then I changed my grades. I changed the people I hung around with. I changed what I did with my free time. The books, I, was, I started reading books. <laughs> it was amazing how much, you know, how much easier school got when you actually read the books. Everything changed. I grew up. I, 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 I got serious. So when I got the news, and I was devastated, I didn't realize that behind the scenes, God had used my motivation to get to X1, to put me in a place where I could see X2 more clearly. X2 was his plan all along, but I wasn't cooperating. It was God's will for me to take seriously school all along. I just wasn't obedient. If you're a student today, God's will is for you to make as good a grade as you can make. It is. I know that. Without knowing anything about you, that's his will for your life. I, I wasn't taking him seriously. So God arranged for me to have a vision that would begin to move me on the path of development. So that I'd come to a point where I could see more clearly what he wanted for me. Here, here's what happened to me. I ended up, because I ended up changing my academic kind of approach to life, I ended up getting an offer, an awful lot of scholarship money to go to a lot of places. It was kind of crazy. I'm, I'm a first generation college kid. All this was new to my family. So my dad had the bright idea that he would take all the options, put them on the table, and he said this. Whichever is the cheapest, that's how much money I'll give you to go wherever you want to go. My dad's cheap. But he had a job to honestly make sure that the finances of our family were good. So, so, so what I did, the cheapest option was to go to school to a, in a college right in the town where I grew up. I lived at home. We didn't have a lot of money. We weren't wealthy like most of the folks that live in our area. I know you don't feel wealthy, but we didn't live in an area like Westchester. I, I won't name the kind of place that's similar because somebody here is from there, and I don't mean to be disparaging, but we, 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 kinda, you know, we were on the other side of town, if you will. And so I ended up going to college in the town where I grew up in. It cost my family about $1,200 for four years of education for me. Ridiculously cheap, no debt. Came out, I did well. I would have never chosen that school because it wasn't prestigious enough. It didn't scream enough status. It didn't satisfy my longing for importance. And yet that's what God wanted me to do. And it was in that place, my first semester, that I said yes to the call of God on my life. It was a dramatic change for me. And when I finally said yes to his plan for me, there was a sense of peace and comfort. I had never done it in a normal path. Maybe I, God took me on a journey to get me ready. And I want to tell you something. It's as true as can be. God is taking you on a journey to put you in a place to say yes to everything he has for you. Some of us are cooperating, unlike me. And some of you are a lot like me, and you're not cooperating. And so you're going through the twists and turns through the indirect path to God's agenda for you. Because here's the deal about God. He's going to work his will in your life, or he's going to break you in the process. I'm just being honest. And some of us will be broken because the consequences of our own sin and foolishness catches up with us. Some of us, honestly, you're living that, or you have a friend who's living that right now. God is more concerned about you following him and him developing you 
than he is even getting you to that place. In fact, God doesn't even want to get you to that place if when you get there, you're not ready to manage it or to, or to steward it is the appropriate biblical word. He's not going to make you the owner of the company if you're going to be foolish with the opportunity and the leveraging of that for his glory when you get there. He's not going to give you the perfect woman, guys, if you're unmarried, if you're not growing to be the man of God he's called you to be so that when you get there, you can't honor the prize that she is. He's going to take you the long route. And I think he will throw up shadows of your call to attract you that probably aren't the call itself. Honestly, I think he does that. I think it's a lot like sailing. I've only done a little bit of this. But there's a principle in sailing, it's called tacking. Now, I'm not talking about motorboats, where you simply turn the steering wheel on the boat. I'm talking about sailing, where you have to adjust for the wind. It's interesting that the Holy Spirit is often referred to as wind in the Bible. That he blows into our lives, and we adjust accordingly. So this principle of tacking goes like this in sailing. If I want to get to the corner of the room in a sailboat, I can't just set Set the, uh, the steering, the, the, what's it called? The rudder. Thank you. Good Lord. I can't just set the rudder in the direction of the corner because the wind blowing will throw me off. So what I do is I fix my eyes in that direction. And as the wind blows me this way, I adjust the rudder to bring me back. But I never quite perfectly line up. I probably will overshoot a bit. And as I do, then I adjust the rudder to bring me. I never lose sight of the prize. But I'm always adjusting the rudder, a rudder, not in a straight line towards the goal, but all around the goal to get there. I think that's the way life typically works when you walk by the Spirit of God. You don't lose sight of the goal, the big goal. We said that God has a providential will. We're going to talk about it next week in detail. It's a will he's accomplishing in the world. He wants all men to come to him, and in some regard, your life is meant to line up with that providential will of God. You're supposed to be a part of helping bringing all people to Jesus. No matter what else God wants for you, that is a definitive part of every believer's life. That's the goal. Everything else you tack around it, and sometimes you're a little overshooting, and sometimes you're a little undershooting, but you keep moving in that direction. Paul's standing in Asia thinking, I gotta hit the rest of this province. And every step of the way, there's these minor adjustments, and finally one night, God speaks to him in a dream, through the, through the image of this person saying, we need help over here too, in Macedonia. The Bible says in the next few chapters in your Bible that Paul and his buddies, they get in a boat, they cross over, and the gospel comes to Europe. Now listen, in a direct way, everybody in this room, or at least most of us, I don't know all your, your heritages, but we're direct descendants of that sensitivity that Paul had to the Holy Spirit that he never set out to have. He was going to evangelize Asia. And in the middle of obeying God with what he thought God put in front of him, God showed him the turn he needed to make at just the right time. And I think God will do the same thing for you. I think if you do your best to line your life up with the providential will of God, God, here's what you're doing in the world. I want to be a part of that. I don't want to align my life in such a way that I'm outside of what you're doing in the world, drawing people to yourself. But I'm going to set aside time and resources. It's going to get some energy. There's going to be some real effort in my life to help bring other people to you. That's why we ask you to volunteer in church. 
That's why he asks you to get in small groups with other people to be encouraged along the big goal that God has for every person. And then within that, there are goals around and dreams that God has for you around career and who you're going to do life with and how he's going to bless you. And, but I'm going to be a part of the big thing. And I think if you'll do that, and then if you'll make sure that the word of God, that the moral will of God revealed in his word, you're trying your best to live up to it. I think that you can walk in boldness towards whatever it is you think he's put in your heart. And if it's not the right thing, he'll direct you by the spirit as he needs to. We've experienced this as a church. About eight months into the life of this church, I knew definitively that God wanted us to build a church on Union Center. We secured land. We did all that. It wasn't God's will. But in the preparation for that, we stretched ourselves. We grew our leadership. We got serious talking about stewardship and money in a healthy way in an environment that often people are a little goofy about. And it stretched us and it grew us. I thought after that that Probably he wanted us to leverage that for Cox Road. So we had some property on Cox Road for a while. Wasn't meant to be. I had done all the studies. It seemed reasonable. It was the center geographically of where people were coming from. But in the preparation of managing that, we got very seriously about, uh, serious about accountability and bringing bright minds around the table to make long-term decisions for this church. And there was no kind of gutting it out. It was reasonable diligence as we processed the stuff. And our ability to understand how this stuff works in an environment like this grew exponentially as we got wise people around the table. Well, it turns out that God's will is for us to be on Liberty Way. I think that's an interesting title. On Liberty Way. Which is more directly in the center of the activity for not just Westchester, but Mason and Monroe and Fairfield. I mean, we're on the corridor of I-75 and Liberty Way and Tylersville and Cox Road, all major arteries to everywhere that you guys live around. And the capacity of this church has exponentially increased simply by the geographic change. The downturn in the economy, we knew for certain at one point we were going to build a building. But with the downturn of the economy, what opened up to us, the possibility of doing a long-term lease for pennies on the dollar of what it would cost us to build. The tacking of the Spirit blowing into the life of this church. The goal was always to reach people, to leverage an asset, a tool to reach as many people as possible. The vision never changed. But the tacking of the Spirit as it blows into your life, being sensitive and humble along the way and being willing to say, we thought this was the thing, but now that I'm here, it looks like this is the thing. And not being so arrogant to stand in that place when all the evidence around is clearly indicating to God's movement over here. What if Paul would have said, I'm not going to Macedonia. I'm going to do my plan. I I don't know. I I believe that God's will ultimately, in in, in the grand scheme of things, largely gets worked out. But if you won't be obedient, he'll find somebody else who will. So I think probably most of Europe would have heard the gospel. But that wasn't what he wanted. He wanted Paul to open the door. He wanted... And he wants you to be receptive like that as well. Sensitive to the blowing of the Spirit. So just a quick checklist to see where your sensitivity is. Are you right now walking in a known sin? Because if you are, the quickest way to dampen the voice of God, to quiet your receptivity to Him, is to have open, unrepentant sin in your life. 
Listen, if you're a young man and you're seeking God's will for your life and you're walking in blatant disobedience to the known teaching of God's word, I don't mean to be harsh, but good luck discerning his will. No amount of wise counsel will get you over the hurdle if you're not willing to follow what's already in front of you. It's difficult, friends. Take it from a guy who's been there and done that. So checklist number one. God, if I'm walking in unrepentant sin, I repent and I begin to turn. Repentance means I don't feel sorry for, but I turn away from my sin and I put barriers in place to not do that. Checklist number two. Are you in an active community of faith where you're regularly shutting your mouth and opening your ears and listening to the wisdom of other followers of Jesus? If your small group is all about your complaining and everybody around you making you feel emotionally released, you're in the wrong small group. Get in a small group where on occasion somebody opens up God's word and says, I don't know all it means, but it seems like God might be stretching us a bit here. And take it in. And on occasion, quit getting an emotional fix and instead get a, get a, a godly dumping into your life of truth that might be hard to hear, but it's exactly what you need for this phase of your life. If you can deal with the sin issue, and you can, and if you can make yourself receptive to the wise counsel of brothers and sisters in Christ, and then finally, if you can definitively, number three, point to a direct way in which you're assisting God's global agenda, which is drawing all people to him, you've done what you can do to put yourself to hear what he wants to speak to you. And then you'll be living what David wrote. God, your word. Does God still speak? Absolutely. He breaks into time and space and he'll speak in your life, sometimes through his word, sometimes through counsel, sometimes through the conviction of his spirit. The spirit will blow into your life and fill your sails. It will. It's happened to me dozens of times. He wants to do that when you remove the blockages. And he'll blow into your life and reveal things to you. He'll speak to you. And you'll be able to hear it. Man, I bet you've never done this, but Jill and I were having a conversation a few days ago, and while she was talking, I decided it'd be a good time. She couldn't quite see me, kind of talking in different rooms. I decided to get up and go to another room and get a glass of water. And then while I'm getting a glass of water, I couldn't quite hear, so I come back. She gets done talking. I nodded like I heard it all. She's like, yeah, yeah. And like 30 seconds later, I asked her a question that revealed I hadn't heard the whole entire middle of what she had said. Yeah, that didn't go so well. Now, the problem was, is not that I, not that she wasn't speaking. It's just I wasn't in the place to hear her. That's the challenge, friends. God is speaking all around you through his word, through wise counsel, through the blowing of his spirit. But we have got to be in a place to hear him. And it may be that he has set before you a grand goal. And you believe it, I would say run towards it. But be open to the fact that that was the carrot he used to get you to the place to see the real thing. It happened in the Bible. It did. Men, some of you are not working jobs that you believe is God's call on your life but you're doing it in obedience to take care of your family as God's called you to do it. You hate it, but you're doing it and you're taking care of your family. Good for you. You're doing what you're supposed to do. I believe if you'll keep up that kind of obedience, taking the known will of God seriously, there will come a day when the winds of the Spirit will blow and it will be unmistakable to you. And God will open doors of opportunity you can't even dream of right now. And it'll be greater than your wildest dreams. 
I believe it to the core of my being. I've lived that about, about eight times in my life at major junctions of decision, just doing the best that I knew. Ladies, if everything isn't right in your marriage and you're frustrated, I'm sorry. But God tells you how to act in those situations. You do not have to wonder. The Bible says, love your husbands. And I know this is unpopular, but it also says, serve your husbands. I'm not talking to be subservient. It means create an environment in your home where it's known that your actions and your words display, I respect you, I value you. You do what God tells you blatantly to do, and you watch the distance between you shorten. You watch the hardness crumble and the bitterness accumulate over years fall as you step out and love your husband like you've never loved him before. You do the part of God's will that you know and the winds of the Spirit will blow in your life and he will tack you all along the goal till you reach your destination. You may have to make some minor adjustments here and there. But that's the way God's will works because he's more interested in developing you along the path than getting you to the end of the path. We've seen this in this church. We're so excited about our building because we believe that for eight years, God has been getting us ready for this opportunity. And honestly, some people don't want to make the journey, and, you've, and they have made that very clear. Obviously, they're not in this room. They, they're already gone. And others, as they're making that, others are getting on board. We've never seen the number of volunteers in our church like we've seen. The number of you supporting us financially, we've never seen it. You're getting on board with that agenda. Thank you. We believe it's because God is a great and generous God and also because he's about to reveal something that we've only dreamed and hoped about. And we think we know what it's going to be like, but I bet you just knowing God's character and just seeing him work in my life over the years, I bet it's going to blow us away. And I think he wants that for you personally. And if that's not where you're living one more time, If there's sin in your life, listen, I don't need you to be good for me. (laughs) I need you to humbly submit to God because that's what he wants you to do. And when you do that, you remove the blockage of sin between you and him. And and if, if if you're not like aware of God's word enough to know in general morally what he wants you to do, get yourself in a position to learn and remove those. And if you're not in an environment regularly with people, where people are talking about, what does God want us to do? All right, so our marriages are tough. What does God want us to do so we don't love our jobs? What does God want us to do? All right, let's get past crying together. And let's talk about what God wants us to do. Let's get past complaining. What does God want us to do in the middle of this? Peter wrote to a group of people in the book of 1 Peter, and he said, if you find yourself in a place of suffering, then suffer in a way that brings God glory. If you find yourself in an I, less than ideal place, be in an ideal place in a way that glorifies God and then watch what he does. That's his will. And it's powerful. And it's beautiful. I haven't regretted for one day not going to the Air Force Academy. I think that would be cool. But I'm walking in the sweet spot of God's will for my life. There's a deep knowing in me Is it easy? Of course, it's the easiest thing I've ever done in my life. Heck no. Yesterday, I had the most profound privilege and the most difficult thing I've done in two years. I sat with the family and talked about some bad news that they received. I was so honored to be at that table 
And everything in me wanted to run the other way. It was hard. I wouldn't change a thing. So next week we're going to talk about God's providential and moral will and the fact that sometimes God's will is hard. And I'm going to call you to courage. First, let's take some next steps together to grab out your connect cards. Hey, if you don't know about this God in a personal way and all this is head knowledge, I'd like to give you a chance to begin a relationship with him that will change everything. We say it this way. Would you like to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Would you like to ask him to forgive your sin and remove that barrier? And would you like to make him the leader or the Lord of your life? If you want to do that, you can check the box and we'll send you some information about that. But we're also going to pray and just say, God, I am a sinner and and you're not in charge of my life. And I want to change that. I want to get out of the driver's seat and let you be in charge. I confess you as the Lord of this universe, but not just the universe, but the Lord of my life. If you want to do that, you can check the box. We'd love to just assist you in the way, in a way that doesn't make any demands on you. To just reveal to you how precious and special that is. And next step B, if you've already done that, but you haven't gone public with your faith and said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus that has worked in my life because it's the power of God at work in me. If you'd like to do that, the best way to do that is to go public in baptism with your faith. Check the box, somebody on our team will be in touch with you and we'll celebrate with you what God has done in your life, not just on earth, but in eternity. And you'll be among that first group probably in our new building as we celebrate baptism there. Next step, Steve. Now listen, I want to like, get to pay dirt, all right? I could use some encouragement at this point in my journey. Maybe you're at one of those hurdles. I know small groups are over, but you could go online today. We'll leave it open today to sign up for a do something group. If you're stuck, you need to do something. So go online and join a do something group. And get involved in a group of people who won't just listen. They'll listen, but they won't just listen. They'll open the pages of God's word and delve into his wisdom and say, maybe we should do this. If you haven't done that because you're too busy, then you're too busy. Make some time. All right? Next step D. I don't have time to do everything. I mean, I'm committed here and here and there. But next step D, I want to set up some time to be involved in our new church. I can't do everything, but I want to be involved in making our new church a new home for this church more than I have. If you'll check that box, we'll send you a plethora of opportunities for you to come. And then you adjust your calendar and come be a part of us. And while you're there, we're praying, we're encouraging, we're laughing, we're, we're getting hurt. It's, uh, it's a lot of fun there. And, and we're building this thing and we're just demonstrating how eager we are for God to use us for his global agenda in this world. The next step B. I need to look at my paper because it's not in front of me. Next step B. I want to be more sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading in my life, whatever it takes. If you want to be more sensitive to the leading of God in your life, whatever it takes, to, to sense the blowing of His Spirit, check that box, and then let's bow our heads together and let's pray about that right now. And think about these words. God, make me sensitive to your Spirit. God, make me sensitive to your spirit. God, make me sensitive to your spirit. Whatever the hurdles are, whatever the obstacles are, whatever cotton is in my spiritual ears, remove it. I want to hear your spirit. Let's pray about those things right now. Lord Jesus, God, thank you for loving us. You don't just love us. 
You have a plan for us. You don't just have a, a plan for us. You're willing to speak to us in the middle of walking that plan. Thank you. God, there are folks in this room making a decision about their eternity. And they're deciding that they're tired of leading and they're ready for you to lead. The attitude of their heart is, I'm a sinner and I want you to lead, Jesus. I want to submit myself to my creator. God, would you help them to just say, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. Lead it and I'll follow. God, there are a lot of us in this room and we're at a point where we need encouragement. It is difficult and hard and we're trying and it seems like the game around us is changing. God, would you, by your spirit, comfort? God, would you comfort in a way that doesn't make us comfortable, but rouses us to pursue you with passion? God, some of us in this room, we need to be in a group of people who are regularly opening your word and talking about your wisdom in a way that propels us and pushes us. And we have too long sought to be emotionally soothed and we haven't sought your will. God, today that changed. And God, some of us, we just haven't been sensitive to your spirit. Everything else has gotten our attention. But today, we realign. God, open our ears to hear you speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. We pray this all in Jesus' name, the strong Son of God. Amen. Amen. Would you guys stand up and sing with us? Sing, take our hands.